Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Hey, good morning. We want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church, to our broadcast service. We want to thank all of you for joining us today. And today we are here at week number two of our brand new series, PTSD, Preparing to Spiritually Decompress. And as we at Grace Crossing Church are inching closer to the resumption of our physical in-person gatherings, we are actually in this series talking about ways that we all can begin to calm down, relax, take some breaths, release some of the tension that we've been feeling. And we want to do that together with God's help. So next weekend is going to be a very important weekend as we gather because next weekend we actually are going to be sharing with you about our plan and our timeline for resuming our in-person gatherings and activities here at Grace Crossing Church. I know that next weekend is Father's Day, and I know that many of you probably will have plans, but I just want to urge you to make plans to join us at 9.30 in the morning next weekend for our broadcast service, where I'm going to share our timeline and our plan for our resuming our in-person gatherings. We're just, uh, it's coming in just weeks and we're really excited about gathering with you here physically at Grace Crossing Church. Now last weekend in our service, we talked about managing expectations in week number one of our series PTSD. I cannot be responsible for your expectations. In fact, I cannot feel responsible for your expectations and you cannot for me. The reality is, as we gather here at Grace Crossing Church, uh, we all are going to have to manage our expectations uh, because even though we still, none of us know quite sure what it's going to be like when we get back together in our physical gatherings, there are at least three things that I think we should expect. First of all, we should expect that it's going to be gradual. In other words, we're not going to return to business as usual in our very first week here in our services. Secondly, you can expect that it's going to be a little bit different. Now, with that being said, I don't think it changes in any way who we are as Grace Crossing Church. Let me share something with you I share with our leadership early on in the process of this. I said, I really believe that God is not asking us to change our vision, but God may be inviting us to adjust our strategies for our new reality. Changed strategies do not change our DNA. It doesn't change who we are. But changed strategies may mean that we look a little bit different when we gather here in our community physically again. So you can expect it to be gradual. You can expect it to be different. You can expect it to be a little bit diverse in the way things used to be the way things used to look. And that actually excites me because I think it's giving us a brand new opportunity for, again, our new reality. Now, though I cannot be responsible for your expectations and you certainly cannot be responsible for mine, there are ways that I may disappoint you in in what you expect and vice versa. But the reality is I think all of us must make it a priority to live up to God's expectations of us. I may not live up to yours, you may not live up to mine, but we should all make it our big ambition to live up to God's expectations of us. And last weekend we talked about those from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. God expects us to place our full hope in him. 
because God can be trusted to keep his promises. God expects me to make love my lead foot. And God expects me to be a source of encouragement to those I'm in relationship with. And finally, God expects me to gather and meet together, to not neglect the meeting together with my church family as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I have a conviction. And my conviction is that during this pandemic pause, some of us have created some healthy, holy habits. But for some of us, the exact opposite has happened. For some of us here at Grace Crossing Church, this pandemic uh, pause has caused us to form some unhealthy and maybe even perhaps some unholy habits. Now, it's been said that it takes about 30 days to form a habit. If that's true, then I would suggest it probably takes two or three times that long to unlearn a bad habit. So many of us have gotten used to worshiping in our pajamas over these last number of weeks. And I can tell you that we at Grace Crossing Church are a non-judgment zone. Our motto is you come as you are and grow. So if worshiping in your pajamas is what you need to be able to form a healthy habit and relearn that healthy habit of gathering with your church community, then listen, we would welcome you to come just as you are. Now this morning, we're gonna shift to week number two of this series, PTSD, Preparing to Spiritually Decompress. And as we go to week two, I wanna move from the outward to the inward. I wanna move from managing expectations to evaluating motivations. This morning, I wanna talk about the motivations and what's going to motivate us as we gather and we regather here physically at Grace Crossing Church. The text that I have selected today comes from a letter that Paul penned to one of his great church planning accomplishments, to the church that was found in the city of Ephesus. He writes his letter to this church, and actually when he does, he shares his thoughts about the motivations to live as God's family, as God's community. I want this morning to read this in its entirety, four verses, Ephesians chapter four, verses one through four, and then we're gonna unpack it together this morning. Here's what it says, Ephesians four, one through four. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Let me ask you, what motivated Paul to pen these particular words? Well, I think what motivated Paul, he gives to us at the conclusion of his thoughts here. What motivated Paul was the one glorious hope of the future. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian Christians while he finds himself in a Roman in prison. 
Paul is writing at a time when the circumstances of his life were not convenient and they were not positive. And yet I think what Paul is saying is, I have one glorious hope for my future and this is not it. Listen, regardless of what your circumstances may be in this present moment, this is not the end. And this present moment does not define your future hope. The reality is this, we have a glorious hope that makes the present circumstances of our life pale in comparison to what waits for us. And that's what Paul begins with, and that's really what he's saying is motivating him even as he writes this letter to the Ephesian Christians. Now, Paul actually begins this in an interesting way. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner serving the Lord. Paul actually starts out his thoughts by giving us a frame to why he's writing what he's writing. Paul gives us a reality check of sorts. What Paul is really saying as he begins his thoughts are that I have chosen to give up my liberties for the sake of your freedom in Christ. In other words, I have chosen to lay down my own rights so that you can enjoy the privileges of your freedom. I think that has particular application and relevance for us here living in 2020. I've heard a lot of chatter these days lately about freedom and liberty. I've heard a lot of people suggesting that their own personal rights and freedoms and privileges are being impinged perhaps by the Roman, perhaps by our government or perhaps by someone else's use of their freedoms. When churches were encouraged and urged to take a pause on physical gatherings for the sake of others, I heard some people suggesting it was a impingement on our religious freedoms, our freedom to gather and worship. Now you can call me naive, but those things never even entered my mind. And here's the reason why. Because in my opinion, our freedom is not nearly as much a personal right as our freedom is a privilege and a benefit that was given to us and is protected because someone else gave up their freedoms and their privileges for us. There are times that we are benefactors so many times. In fact, as American citizens, we benefit from those who gave up their freedom so that we could enjoy ours. And for us not to honor the freedoms of others and for us not to hold the tension between our freedoms and the freedoms of those around us and the health and safety and well-being of those around us is simply not loving people well. So Paul begins by reminding the Ephesian Christians that I've given up my privileges, I've given up my rights, my freedoms, so that you can enjoy yours. But I find what's interesting in, in this very first verse in Ephesians 4, verse 1, is, is how Paul starts it. He begins it with one word. He says, therefore. Therefore. Because of these things, I want you to do those things. The question is, what are the these things that Paul is referring to when he says, therefore? Well, to find the answer of that, we don't want to go forward we actually want to go backward. Because the answer to the therefore 
lies actually in the, in the final few verses of the previous chapter. Remember, chapter breaks are not divinely inspired. They are put there to help us to be able to understand and read Scripture more like a book. But the reality is that chapter 3 flows right into chapter 4. And that word, therefore, is a consequential word. It is a transitional word. It is a connective word. And what Paul is doing is Paul is connecting his thoughts from chapter 3 into chapter 4. Because of these things, what are these things? Well, let me just mention a few. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It's one of the great 316s of the Bible. Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul goes on to say, and I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. I love those words, rooted and established. The word rooted is actually an agricultural word, though unseen. The roots are the most significant part of the tree. And that word established, it's actually an architectural word in the Greek language. Because though unseen, the foundation, the establishment, is the most important part of the building. And what Paul is saying here is that our lives are rooted and established or grounded in God's love. He goes on then in verse 19 to say, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Because of God's unlimited resources and riches that he has given to us by his spirit, therefore, because we have been rooted and grounded in God's love for us, therefore, because we have been made complete by God, and we now get to enjoy living out the fullness of his life and his power through the spirit that's at work within us, therefore. There, therefore, because of these things, Paul says, listen, because of these things, therefore, I urge you, I beg with you, I plead with you, I implore you that you live and conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the great high calling of God in your life. Friends, that's where Paul is headed. What Paul here is doing is Paul is saying, these are the reasons that I'm calling on you to be motivated in the way that you handle your relationships with one another. And what Paul then goes into in the very next verse from verse number one is he goes into five ways that we should be motivated. Five ways that we should be motivated in our relationship with one another. And it's the ways that I pray that we are all motivated as we examine our motivations for gathering back together what should be the things that motivate us. Well, here's how Paul says it, and he gives them to us in Ephesians chapter four, verse number two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, show tolerance for one another in love. Paul here specifies 
five motivations that are not full of self, but are full of God. These are the motivations for how Paul is suggesting we live a life in a manner that is worthy of God's love, that is worthy of the unlimited riches that God has poured into us, that is worthy of all the things God has done for us. And he's suggesting that this is how we live in such a way that the fullness of God's life and God's power can be seen in us by God's spirit. Five motivations. The first, be humble. Be humble. Author C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. The word that Paul uses here means literally humility of mind. It means that we are actually thinking highly of others, especially those who are different from us. We actually are thinking with honor and dignity and respect that they are human beings created in the image and likeness of God, that they are image bearers of God. And so in humility of mind, we actually consider them better than ourselves. Be humble. The second motivator Paul gives us is he says, be gentle. Be gentle. That word gentle is actually the exact same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. Because in the Beatitudes, Jesus takes that word that here is translated gentle and it's translated meek. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Listen, friends, meekness is not weakness. The word literally means controlled strength. So when you're feeling strong, strongly about something that somebody else feels differently about, are you able to contain that and continue to be gentle with yourself and more importantly, gentle with them even when their thought process may be different from your own? Be gentle. Thirdly, Paul says, be patient. That's a third motivator, be patient. This word patience uh, literally means to suffer long. So it is being long-tempered and not short-tempered. It is being long-fused and not short-fused. Now, interestingly, throughout the Scripture, especially in the New Testament, this word patience here is more often applied to God than it is to us. But here Paul takes a word that is applied most often to God, and he here applies it to us. He says, listen, I want you to be motivated out of the patience that God has shown for you. And there are two ways I think that we can exhibit that patience in our relationship toward other people. I think one, the idea here of patience is that we are able to remain quiet and non-contentious even when others have become loud and demonstrative, that we can stay quiet, settled, and contained. The second way I think the idea of practicing patience is lived out is that we are actually able to remain restrained 
even when we have found ourselves being mistreated. That's what long-suffering is. Listen, our African-American brothers and sisters have spent a lot of years practicing patience. They've spent a lot of their lives having to learn how to be long-suffering. They've put up with a great deal, and people of color in our country and ethnic minorities have learned how to be patient. And what we need to understand is this is a quality that God calls all of us to in our life. So we are called to be humble. We are called to be patient. We are called to be gentle. The next one here is a little tricky. Paul says, be tolerant. Be tolerant. This idea in the Greek comes from two words, meaning to put up with or to bear with. The idea of tolerance is the idea of being able to put up with somebody or something that may stand at odds with you. I mean, mean, this idea of tolerance is one that we can sometimes take in directions that it was never intended to be taken. But listen, love, let's be clear, God's spirit is tolerant. And I think the idea of tolerance means two things. First of all, it means that we make allowances for the difference, the differences of others. We make allowances for the differences of others. Listen, we're going to go to our grave having differences of opinions. Differences of opinions do not keep us out of eternity. But what can keep us out of the kingdom of God is not being tolerant in the sense that we are able to maintain relationship and make allowances for the differences of others. I think tolerance means that we make room for differing opinions. It means that we might see or hear something that we may disagree with. But can we maintain relationship and stay connected to people that we may not see eye to eye with. You know, in our world today, a lot of people, it's an all or nothing game. That if you don't agree with everything I believe, that I can't have relationship with you. That is not how God treats us. Every day on social media, this is tested. Are we able to stay and make room for the differences of other people and differences of opinion? Because that's what tolerance is about. A final thing that Paul says is that we're to be loving. Let me be clear. This is the great motivator. The great motivator is God's love. It's agape love. It is the thing that motivates all of the other things and allows us to fulfill them. How am I going to be humble? How am I going to be gentle? How am I going to be patient? And how am I going to be tolerant unless I am deeply rooted and established and grounded in God's love? But once I find myself grounded and rooted in God's love, I then can turn around. And I I, I don't just act loving or do loving things, but I am loving. And that's what Paul tells us, that we are to be loving. Now, Paul summarizes all of this in one final verse in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3. In fact, what Paul does in this verse 
is he said, when we're doing all these other things, here's what it's going to look like. Let me, let me read it to us here this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. When all of these motivations are bound together in near perfect harmony, they actually look a lot like God. They are the closest image and picture that we will get of God anywhere here on this earth. And that's what Paul is suggesting. Paul is suggesting that unity is one of the great identifying factors and ingredients and virtues of God. And that when that unity is operating inside of us, through humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance and love, and when those are bound together, when they come together in near perfect harmony, man, they look a lot like God. And there are several things Paul suggests here. The first thing he suggests is that unity is the trademark of God's spirit. He calls it the unity, notice it, of the Spirit. Unity is not something we manufacture. It isn't something that we produce. Unity is a gift of God's Spirit that is given to us. Now, unity is God's trademark. But make no mistake about it, Paul says that unity is going to take effort. Though we don't manufacture it, we do have to maintain it. That's what the Bible says. Make every effort to maintain or keep the unity of the Spirit. Every once in a while, I'll purchase something. And when I make a purchase, especially if something is not put together, I always look at how much assembly is required. How much maintenance is this going to take? It's one thing to have something that you want, but it's another thing to say, I'm going to do the work to maintain it. My wife and I both love flowers. And each spring, she likes to buy flowers and plant them at different places. But the reality we have learned is that having those flowers is going to take a lot of maintenance. It's going to take a lot of watering and care to make sure they're growing and they get the right nutrients and the right conditions to be able to do what they're created to do. If we don't maintain it and we don't maintain the watering, we have nothing more than dead plants. What Paul is saying here is that we are all called not to manufacture unity, but we maintain it. We make effort to do it. And then Paul calls it and says that it's held together by what he calls the bond of peace. I want you here to think adhesive. I want you here to think Gorilla Glue. I want you to think super glue. Have you ever super glued something and got between your fingers and you knew right away you were in trouble? That's the kind of strength that Paul is encouraging us to have. This unity of God's spirit is bound together by peace as we make every effort and we do our part. Now, I want to just close by suggesting that Jesus made it clear that the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. How well we love gives our Christianity away. 
But I would suggest that love is most evidenced through the trademark of unity. In fact, I want you to think of this. I want you to think of unity as the uniform that Christians wear. When you go to a ball game, and many of us may not be doing it this year, this summer, but perhaps on watching a game on TV, how do you know which team each player is on? You know it by the uniform they're wearing. Listen, our uniform as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is unity. The world will know that we are Christians by the way we love, and that love, when we are deeply rooted and grounded in God's love, gives way to beautiful Christian unity. As I've held these last number of weeks in prayer, and I've held you in prayer, my prayer has been centered around some of these verses. I prayed that you'd be strengthened in your inner person by God's Spirit. I prayed that God would make his home in your heart. I prayed that you would be filled and rooted and established in God's love. I prayed that the fullness of the life and power of God would flow through us. And I prayed that we would all be motivated by the evidences of the Christian life, the Spirit-filled life. This morning, I just want to challenge us. The great evidences that we are unified are found in those five motivations. And so today, examine your heart. Ask yourself this question. How humble am I? How gentle am I? How patient am I? How tolerant am I? And how loving am I? As I close, let me just read this to you. It's found in a book written by Evelyn Underhill entitled The Spiritual Life. She says, if we desire a simple test of the quality of our spiritual life, a consideration of the tranquility, gentleness, and strength with which we deal with the circumstances of our outward life will serve us better than anything that is based on the loftiness of our religious notions or the fervor of our religious feelings. It is a test that can be applied anywhere and at any time. Tranquility, gentleness, and strength, carrying us through the changes of weather, the ups and downs of the route, the varied surface of the road, the inequities of life, the emotional and professional disappointments, the sudden intervention of bad fortune or bad health, the rising and falling of our religious temperature. This is the threefold imprint of the Spirit on those surrendered to this great action. My prayer today is that God will help us to exhibit these motivators as we prepare in just a few short weeks to gather again here at Grace Crossing Church. Bow your heads. Let me pray for our church family today. Father, I just want to lift up our church to you. I want to thank you for your presence as we are gathered virtually today in this broadcast service. My heart is so full as I anticipate this auditorium being filled once again with God's people who bring the life of God with them. Thank you, God, for your word today that challenges us, that invites us 
to experience the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Thank you that we can live a life worthy of your calling by being humble, by being gentle, by being patient, by being tolerant, and by being loving. I truly believe that our vision here at Grace Crossing Church is going to be stress-tested over these next number of weeks and months. That we are going to test whether and how deeply integrated we are at being emotionally healthy people, fully surrendered Christ followers. So God, be with us today as we search our own hearts, as we evaluate our own motivations. And I pray that you'll bless us this week ahead And help us, Lord, to hold our hearts open before you and help us to be responsive to the invitations of your Spirit in our lives. We love you and we thank you. And I pray a blessing on everyone here at Grace Crossing Church today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us here for our broadcast service. Look forward to seeing you next week. Can't wait to share with you our timeline and our plan of resuming our in-person gatherings. See you then. God bless. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.